The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. What'd you think? <laughs> I want to run through some of the lyrics with you, so I'm going to let Dave switch, switch screens here because I'm going to put some of them on, on PowerPoint. But you got, the, you got the feel of the song from the visual. It's probably too fast for you to catch everything that was said. You want to hit the house lights for me, Ed? And then we're going to put, put the slideshow on here. Show me the first verse. Human beings in a mob. What's a mob to a king? What's a king to a god? What's a god to a non-believer who don't believe anything? This is the refrain of the song. It's the heartbeat of the song. And it goes from smaller to larger. A human being by himself, not much, makes a mob. But what's a mob to a king? King can handle a mob. And what's a king to a god? A god can handle a king. But what's a god... To a non-believer, nothing. So this transcendent authority that we used to have over everything, God has now been uh, disposed of. And now at the top of the line, above God, above kings, above mobs, is this unbeliever. And so when God, capital G, is moved out out of the picture, well, there's no church in the wild. And I take that to mean the wild is real life. It's, it's the streets, it's where it's rough, it's where it's tough, and the church doesn't get here, the church doesn't play here. The church is irrelevant. So when God is disposed of, transcendent God, then church becomes irrelevant. Now isn't that the way our culture sees church right now? Absolutely. So when church is, is irrelevant, there's a va- when God's irrelevant, there's a vacuum, Okay. How do we know what life's all about if there's no God to be that transcendent authority? So there's going to be a vacuum for authority. Look at this next verse. No God, church is irrelevant. Next verse. There's a vacuum of authority. I live by you. What? Desire. I live by you. Desire. I stand by you, walk through the fire. Your love, they're not even playing around. Your love is my what? Scripture. So it's the new authority. It's autonomous desire. My desire is now what I live by. And my love for my desires, that's my new Bible. That's my scripture. That's authority. If I want it, that's truth. That's how to do it. So we see when God is replaced, church is irrelevant. And therefore, we have a new authority. It's no longer like the Bible or something like that. The new authority is now my desires. That's going to change our ethic. If our authority is now our desires, what's our ethic for what's right and wrong? Check this one out. Again, they're not playing, are they? We formed a what? A new religion. We formed a new religion No sins, do whatever you want, as long as there's permission, and deception is the only felony, so never, nobody, the point is, without telling who? Me. Who gives permission? Me. So what's the new ethic? You can do it. It's not a question of if it's right or wrong, or if it's good for you, or if it's about love. The question is, 
If I say you can do it, you can do it. If I give you permission, you can do it. And so the new ethic we see is selfish. And so he's singing about the lady in the leopard suit. Now when the fellows put you in a leopard suit and have you doing the things he mentioned, do you feel valued, ladies? Is that what you dreamed of as a little girl? I just want to wear a a leopard suit and have men gawk over me and use me. The new ethic is selfish. God's been replaced. The new authority is my desires. That's my scripture. So the the ethic now is self-focused. And that's going to change the way we see community. Let's see this lady. Two tattoos. One red, what? No apologies. I'm not sorry for how I live. The other said, love is cursed by monogamy. That's something that the pastor don't preach. Let me just say I agree with him there. I do not preach this. Love is cursed by monogamy. You know what? I'd die on this hill. Monogamy is love. I made a promise to my wife. It'll be 15 years this summer. I made a promise. It's love. We're faithful to each other. But this love is cursed by monogamy. It's something the pastor, the, the teacher can't teach it. Next slide. Look at what happens to the community. When we die, the money we can't keep but we probably spent it all. Why? Because of the what? The pain. Are they happy? We're in pain. We've replaced God. Church is irrelevant. The new authority is my desires. The new ethic is selfish. The new community, it might be blingy. We've got a Rolls Royce and our seats have cocaine all over them. But the new community is broken. We're in pain. We're broken. Now what's so ironic to me, I, re- I really appreciate the artistry of the song. They said what they said so well. But what's so ironic to me about this video is the lines are all about materialism, sex, partying. It sounds like fun, the party lifestyle. But just from the visual, what did you see in the video? Did it look fun to you? It was chaos. It was total chaos. They seem to be self-aware of what they're saying. When we replace God and church becomes irrelevant, no church in the wild anymore, and our desires are our own authority and our ethic is selfish, our community's broken and in pain, it's just chaos. That's all we have left. Wow. Wow. And your generation thinks this way about God and thinks this way about church. Um, Millennials-ish. They think church is an institution with a political agenda. So somebody like Madonna will say, I don't think there's anything wrong with the teachings of Jesus, but I'm suspicious of organized religion. A lot of people think that. You like Jesus? Sure. You like church? Hate it. Institutionalized. Poisonous. They think church is judgmental or negative. We're known, aren't we, out there for what we're against. The church, what are they like? Well, they hate these people and they hate those people and they hate those people. We're seen as arrogant and exclusive, hypocritical, all about rules, no love. As a pastor, you know what, as, a, as Christians, probably we should apologize for this because it happens in some places, doesn't it? You experience this, you've seen it, you tasted it, absolutely, it's wrong. Okay, so back to the question. They've rejected, some sort, they've rejected God and, and church is irrelevant. 
What would be the real thing? What is the meaning of church? What should it be like? Does it have a place? Why church? It's now what I want to take you back to one of the earliest pictures of church. I'm going to be in the book of Acts just for a little bit. I'd love it if you guys would follow along in your Bibles. We've got chair Bibles there in front of you. I'm going to be on page 910, 911. If you don't have a Bible, take one home. We'd love to give it to you. I'm just going to read one verse for us, but we're going, to, we're going to float around in here to see some context as well. The verse for us today, church in a nutshell, church in a sentence, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It's the name of our group, 242. Page 911, Acts is uh, written by Luke. He was a friend of the Apostle Paul, and um, it's, an early, it's a history of the early church. In chapter 2, verse 42, page 911, this is what Luke writes. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. This is what church is all about. First thing to see, though, is from the context. Um, In our very perceptive song, the artists realized that once transcendent God is out of the picture. There's no church in the wild. Church is irrelevant. And that shows us, it reminds us, this, it's very true, church is derivative. Church is derivative. You know what derivative means? It takes its value from something else. So when church gets disgusting, it's because church became all about itself. It became about its rules. It became about being right So when church finds its value in itself all by itself, that poisons church. It wrecks church. Church is derivative. And so the artists are right when they say God is out of the picture, transcendent God. There is no church in the wild. They're right. If there's no God, what's the value of church? There isn't one, right? It's a joke. But within the context of Acts chapter 2, something incredible has happened. This is just a little bit after... Jesus Christ was murdered on a cross and rose from the dead. This is in the context of Peter's first sermon. Look up in verse 22. This is what Peter says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, is he speaking in a way that seems vague to where his audience wouldn't know what he's talking about? Or is he like, you all were there, you saw it. You were there, you shouted, crucify him. You were there, you, you shouted Hosanna when he came into the city. You know this. You were around. Jesus was crucified. And then look at verse 32. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Peter's preaching the gospel. You know, not to be too cheesy in connection with the song, but it's true, isn't it? Jesus came to the wild. Did he come to the wild? Think about it. He's... He's the eternal son of God enjoying glory, and he takes on flesh for us. 
and he comes into the mess. You know, we saw two sides in that video. You had the government side, and you had the mob side. Which one killed Jesus? Both of them. The mob shouted. The mob, always rebelling against Rome, shouted, crucify him when he wasn't the king they, that he, they wanted him to be. Pilate, with his guards, washed his hands and sent him to the cross. Jesus really did come to the wild. This sets Christianity apart from every other religion. There's, there's nothing else like this where the Son of God takes on flesh and goes right through the worst evil humanity has to offer. He bled and died right in the middle of the wild, of the evil. And as Peter said, this was according to the sovereignty of God. This was all according to the plan. It's not a big accident. Why was he killed? It's a substitute thing. He was dying in our place. You know, we might want to say that the standard should be our desires. But our hearts know that's not right. And I think even the world out there knows it's not right. If you went out on the world and were like, how many of you think you should love other people? What do you think the response would be generally? Yes. And if you did a survey, how many of you are for love, pro-love? Everybody would be like, not me. Okay, pro-love. All right. Do you love? Do you love others? And right now your mind's like, yeah, I, I love somebody once. Do you always love others? Which people do you love? Your friends? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. That'd be enough to, to kick me out. Love your neighbor, people you're around, as you love yourself. Every time. In a world that's pro-love, do we love? Do we even know how to love? We broke the law. And that's just one. We broke it. We broke it, we, we're guilty, we know it, we feel it. That's why Jesus is on the cross. He's taking upon himself the justice we know we deserve. It's his love, it's his sovereign plan, because as the substitute now, through him we're forgiven, through him we're made right, and the resurrection proves it. The resurrection seals the deal. The resurrection shows that it's real. He's alive he died for our sins. He rose from the dead for new life. Look at what Peter says in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He died, he rose for you. It deserves a response. I love this verse in verse 37. Now when they heard this, what happened to him? Do you see it? They were cut to the heart. Oh, it hit them. Their sin hit them, their need for Jesus hit them. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, what? Repent. What's it mean to repent? It means to turn. It means you're, you're going one way and you're like, this is terrible, this is stupid. I'm going the other way now. To repent is to be like, I'm following all these other gods, all these other standards. It's a joke, it's chaos, it's broken, it's pain. I'm turning now. I'm going to follow Jesus. Is Jesus worth? Is Jesus trustworthy? Listen, if you're going to follow somebody, they, they better know what's up. 
right? Don't just follow some, a rapper or a TV preacher or anything else. Don't just follow anybody. You would want to follow somebody who really knows what life is all about. How do you know who knows best? Let me suggest to you how about if he claims to be the son of God, predicts his crucifixion and his resurrection, then does it. He rose from the dead. And he said, after that, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Does he know what's up? Can you trust him? Yeah. So you want him to have truth. Not only that, you want him to have kind motives towards you. Why did he die in the first place? Do you remember? It's his love for you. He loves you. He knows you, all your sins. He knows you, all the ways you've broken the law. And he loves you. And he knows all your rebellion. And he went to the cross for you. Can you trust his motives toward you? Is he going to be kind to you? Is he going to care about you? He died for you. He rose from you. He rose for you. There's no one better to trust with your life than Jesus. Who has that resume of both power and wisdom to know what's going on and also love and compassion to give their life for you? There's nobody else like this. So repent. So we repent and we turn to him. We trust in him. He lived the perfect life to make us right. He died on the cross to earn our forgiveness. He rose and reigned so we can have new life as an adopted child of God. He came to the wild. Came to the wild of my heart. And when people repent, they meet the real God in Jesus Christ. All that's to say is, remember, church is derivative. Church is derivative. On this day, we're reading about in Acts chapter 20. Chapter 2, 3,000 people trusted in Jesus. Guess what existed all of a sudden? Church. Oh, here, church. Church in the wild right there. Why? Was it about themselves? Hey, let's start a club. What was it about? Jesus. There's nobody like him. Look what he's done. Jesus. When you turn and you believe and you repent... Jesus, oh my gosh, Jesus, everything's different now. Jesus, listen, when church is about anything other than Jesus, church sucks. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) I've lived through that and so have you. When it's about anything other than Jesus, we've lost the source of value for church. But man, when church is about Jesus, that's why I go, not just because I get paid. You get paid. It's a great job. I love it. But I go because of Jesus. And when things are low, Jesus. And when things are high, Jesus. Jesus is the reason for church. He's the value that makes church worthwhile. No transcendent God, church is irrelevant. When you meet God through Jesus Christ, church is, it's alive. It's breathing. It's vital. Then you see what happens. Now down to Acts 2, 42. couple things, just nutshell, basics of church. Follow me on verse 42. And they, what's that third word? And they devoted themselves. What's it mean to be devoted? That's really, that's, that's the character of Jesus, isn't it? It's faithfulness over time. If you're devoted, you're going to show up. You're going to be there even when it's tough. If you're devoted, you're not going to quit easily. If you're devoted, you're courageous. If you're devoted, you got nails. You got thick skin. You're in it to win it. You're not, you're not flaking. Church is devoted. 
the nutshell, the real thing, the heart of it. It's devoted because Jesus' people take on Jesus' character. Who's more devoted than Jesus? So devoted to the Father, right? He took on flesh. That's crazy. Went through temptation amazingly, A+. plus. Never denied his Father, devoted. He's praying in the garden. He knows what's coming, the wrath of God, the cross. Father, not my will. Yours be done, devoted all the way to the end, all the way to the end, all the way through the cross, he's devoted. He remains devoted to us. He never stops. What should his people be like? What can his people be like because of him? Devoted. The attitude of Jesus in us. What are we devoted to? Well, the first thing we see, Acts chapter 2, 42, they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. Another way you can say this is they're devoted to truth. Truth. Uh, it's worth asking what's special about being an apostle. Because some people would say, well, an apostle saw Jesus. That's true. But there's lots of people who saw Jesus. Or some people say, apostles follow Jesus. And that's true. But there's lots of people who follow Jesus. I'm trying to follow Jesus. I'm not an apostle. What's unique about being an apostle? It's authority. Again, it's derived. It's derivative authority. Who has all authority? Because he rose from the dead. Jesus. But Jesus called certain leaders to be apostles. He said, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. You're going to be my apostle. You're going to be the authority to proclaim me and what it means to follow me in the world. And so you've got a group of men here that Jesus commissioned to be apostles. He called them to be apostles. We've already established you can trust Jesus. He loves you. He's wise and he's kind. And he gave us apostles. Like Paul says in Philippians, I remain with you for your progress and your joy in the faith. So what's Paul, what's Paul for as an apostle? He's for your what? Your joy? Your happiness? That's why we have apostles? Yeah, happiness in Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And so to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, these people are seeing, we want to know more of Jesus, we want to know more of what it means to be like him, to be with him, and so we're going to devote ourselves to hearing their teaching because they have authority from Jesus to proclaim Jesus. They're devoted to truth. Now where do you and I find the apostles' teaching today? The scriptures, the New Testament. That's why we read it. That's why we study it. That's why we preach it. Because we want to see Jesus. We want to know him. We want to follow him. So, nutshell, a church is derivative. It's about Jesus. And because we're about Jesus, we're devoted. And we're devoted to truth. The truth of Jesus as revealed in the scriptures. Listen, I just want to pause here and say, I realize some of you have doubts about this. I want you to know I have had doubts about all of it. I want, you, I want this place to be a, a good, safe place for doubts. We're going to give time for conversation and hanging out and you can voice your doubts and you're welcome here even with doubts uh, next week I'm going to chase down some questions about the Bible and some doubts about the Bible like contradictions or for whatever we're going to look at the meaning of the Bible for a little bit next week bring all your friends can you trust the Bible now look at it safe place for doubts but at least I want to tell you this that song's telling you to trust your desires as an authority do you realize how not to be unkind but do you realize how stupid that is can you trust your desires? What would happen to you if you did everything you wanted in the flash that you wanted it, in the moment? I would be in jail, right? My desires, really? Do your desires ever change? 
You know, I once prayed to God, dear God, let me marry Elizabeth Esclamato. And you're like, who? Yeah, Elizabeth Esclamato, okay? I dated her in college. I am so glad I did not marry her. But I wanted to. Can you trust your desires? I mean, gosh, really? Aim bigger. Jesus Christ, his apostles, devoted to truth. You see our tagline here, Acts 2.42, truth in community. Because they weren't just devoted to the apostles' teaching. What else were they devoted to? Let's just finish out the sentence. We'll put it all together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the what? The fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So good, so much and so little. Fellowship means sharing and connect and connection. So they, won't ju- they weren't just devoted to apostles' teaching, but they were devoted to one another. They cared about each other. They cared, they cared about learning truth, but they cared about doing it in community. Fellowship, sharing, it's sharing everything. It's giving, receiving, enjoying one another. Don't you long in your heart of hearts for a place where you're safe and you're known for who you really are, people know you, and you're loved for who you really are. You don't have to make like a facade thing. You have to make some weird identity. You don't have to be on the guard all the time making sure you're putting out the right image. You could just be you Safe and know that people were devoted to you and you were devoted to one another. Imagine a community where there's friendship, sincerity, safety, honesty. It's exactly what we're supposed to have in Jesus. Devoted to one another. I'm hoping this group will will grow in that. That because we're devoted to Jesus, we'll learn to be more and more devoted to one another. And what a contrast. In the wild, there's no church, there's no God, so church is irrelevant. The new authority is my desires, and the ethic was selfishness. I demand, I demean, I dominate, I use. In the gospel, it's different. We've met God in Jesus Christ, so church is alive and vital. We have a new authority, it's truth from Jesus in the apostles' teaching, and we have a new ethic, it's love, it's fellowship, it's sharing. And it's not just a sharing in, on a human level, but it's a sharing with God himself. First John 1 John 1.3, the apostle there writes, That which we've seen and heard we proclaim to you. And that's Jesus, of course. And the reason is so that you too may have fellowship with us. And then he says, And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. Do you see what Christians are able to have if we want it, if we focus on Christ? Sharing in connection with one another as we're sharing and connected to God himself. He's called us into the fellowship of his son. The father said, I want to share my son with you so you can know him and enjoy him. He'll bring you to me. I want to share myself with you. And let's share God with one another. Share with one another. Connect with one another. It's this mess of fellowship together. And it's a new community. So they're devoted to the prayers. That's why we, you know, singing is prayer to music. Did you know that? When we sing it, what is it? It's, we're, we're talking to God. We're talking about God. When we sing about God, we're fellowshipping together. We're singing, hey, do you know God is like this? And we're singing it together. And then some songs we're singing to God, and together we're fellowshipping together with God. We're singing it out. We're praying it out. We're enjoying his presence with us here by the Holy Spirit. 
He shares himself with us. It also includes eating. Isn't that great? Don't you love God for this? How many of you guys like to eat? Praise the Lord. Amen. I see that hand. Scholars are wondering, what are they talking about? Are they talking about dinners together? Are they talking about the Lord's Supper? And a lot of commentators and scholars just say, yeah, that's what they're talking about in this verse. Did you see it? It's in there twice. To the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Um, teaching in the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers. Why are we breaking bread together? Well, first of all, ancient Near East table fellowship meant if we ate dinner together, if we sat down together, now we have kind of a loyalty to each other. Um, we have to protect each other. So maybe that's in there. But there's also the idea of, I mean, what do people do when they're friends? What do we, what do, we do? We we eat, we connect, that's, that's what we do. Um, and then you add to this, what's the, what's the second sacrament the Lord Jesus gave us? Take, eat, this is my body, take, drink, this is my blood. It's a feast of that fellowship and sharing. We eat his body together and we say, Jesus is my life, that's why I'm here. And, then, and I say, me too. And we eat it together and we're sharing together. Vertically, horizontally. We drink the blood. Jesus' blood was shed to, to forgive me of my sins and bring me into this community. And you say, me too. And we drink it together. And we're sharing. We're sharing with God. We're sharing with one another. That's what we're devoted to because church has a derivative value. When it's about itself, it's terrible. When it's about Jesus, it's beautiful. So Jesus came to the wild to bring you into the family of God. And when you look to him and you turn to him and you repent to him and you trust in him, he brings you into that family and he makes it beautiful. What a contrast. In the wild, there's no God. Church is irrelevant. Got a new authority. It's my desires. Got a new ethic. It's selfish. Got a new community. It's broken. We're in pain and it's chaos. I've had enough of that. Then there's the gospel. Jesus came into the wild. We've met the real God through Jesus Christ. And now church, the meaning of church, it's alive. It's vital because he's changed us. We have a new authority. It's truth from Jesus in the apostles' teaching. We have a new ethic. It's love. We have a new community. It's not chaos. It's beautiful. It's messy sometimes, for sure, because I'm still messy. So are you. But it's beautiful. So why church? Jesus. You want to do some of that together? You want to do some of that? Devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to the fellowship, truth, and community. Because Jesus came to the well for us. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a time to respond. We're going to turn the lights down. We're going to play some music. going to give you some space to think and pray about things. We are going to also enjoy the Lord's Supper. Elder Ed's going to be over here. He's my orange crush tonight. And he's just going to stand there. And when you can come up to the table however, whenever you want. We're going to give you some space, a little silence, a little music. When you're ready, when you want, you come up to the table. He's going to offer you the bread and the juice. He's going to tell you it's the body of Christ. It's the blood of Christ. You come when you want. If you trust in Jesus, you're welcome to come to that. If you're not sure, if you just want to think about it, 
You just want to soak it in, that's fine. Just sit there, soak it in. If you want to chat with your friend about it next to you, you can do that as well. If you want to pray, if you want to talk to God about what this means for your life, do that as well. We want to give you some space to respond. So let me pray, and we'll respond together. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for coming into the wild for me, for us. Lord, we want to repent. We want to follow you. We want to know your love for us. I pray for each person here, Lord, that we would see how beautiful a community based on you and around you can be. And that by your love, your Holy Spirit, your power, you would build that up in us. That your love for us would be evident and thick and rich and real. And that would pour out into love for one another. And we'd enjoy that fellowship you've given us. And we would see the meaning of church is to know you. It's to bring you glory. Lord, you came into the wild for us. And we can go out in the wild for others and bring them in. Bless the rest of our time as we respond, as we praise, as we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.